We are LP Magazine, and since 2001, we've been the leader in providing content and education for the loss prevention and asset protection industry, and we are known as the voice and authority of the LP community. Each episode, we'll be sharing and discussing the latest in trends and current issues related to all things retail and profit protection. You're listening to the LPM Podcast. All right, we're going to move right along because we've got a a busy schedule today, and I'm going to introduce uh, Adrian Eastlake. Uh, Adrian's a Lieutenant Commander with the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps, where she currently works as an industrial hygienist in the Emerging Technologies Branch at uh, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health in Cincinnati, uh, NIOSH, as well as Debbie Hornback, who is a Health Communication Specialist in the Division of Science Integration, also at NIOSH. Ladies, welcome. We're excited to have you with us today. Hi, I'm Debbie Hornback, and I just wanted to let you know that we are the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. We were established by the Occupational Safety and Health Act of 1970, and we are a U.S. federal agency that conducts research and makes recommendations to prevent worker injury and illness. Um, Adrian and I are co-chairs for the wholesale and retail trade sector, and this program provides leadership to prevent diseases, injuries, and fatalities in wholesale and retail trade workers. Through our participation and research efforts, we are able to address the injuries and illnesses affecting wholesale and retail trade workers, especially among vulnerable population groups. There are approximately 21 million workers in the wholesale and retail trade sector, and a large portion of whom have been designated as essential workers, especially during the past COVID pandemic. Um, our subsectors include the non-durable and durable goods merchant wholesalers, building material and garden equipment supply stores, food and beverage stores, furniture and home furnishing stores, and general merchandising stores, and medical vehicle parts and dealers. Um, And we do do a lot of work with the COVID risk factors and challenges to vaccination. And Adrian will um, continue on with the vaccination program. Yes, I, I I loved the last question that where uh, where Tracy was referring to being uh, completely and totally transparent. So that that's kind of the hope here is we're trying to be completely and totally transparent and provide you with the most up to date information on the COVID vaccine. You know, ever that's what everyone everyone wants to know about right now because it's been one year since these COVID infections were first identified. And since then, we've had multiple vaccines that have been developed and put through clinical trials with the support of the U.S. government. And so far, as you can see on that, on that left-hand table there, uh, we've got three that have received uh, emergency use authorizations from the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, As I'm sure you're all aware, vaccination is a critical tool in bringing this pandemic to an end and getting back to normal, whatever that normal happens to be. So CDC continues to work with states to understand what are the roadblocks and to figure out how to overcome challenges in distribution and administration to ensure we are getting vaccines into arms as quickly and safely as possible. As you can see there, as of March 22nd of this year, over 126 million doses 
of COVID vaccine have been administered and those numbers just continue to go up on a weekly and daily basis. So as I mentioned, there are the three different vaccines um, that have received the emergency use authorizations. One is the Pfizer, also known as BioNTech. Another is Moderna. And the third is Johnson & Johnson, also referred to as Janssen. Um, so the Pfizer vaccine is authorized for individuals who are age 16 and older. And as you can see, you have to receive two doses given 21 days, three weeks apart. The Moderna and Johnson & Johnson vaccines are authorized for individuals aged 18 and older. All three of the vaccines were tested in very diverse adult populations, included minorities and also older adults. All of the available vaccines have been proven effective at preventing serious illness, hospitalization, and death from COVID-19 disease. It's currently unknown how long the protection from receiving the vaccine might last. Since vaccina vaccination really only began in December, data to determine vaccine effectiveness is currently being collected and analyzed, but is not yet available. Uh, the most current da data is that the the effectiveness of the vaccine is good for 90 days. That will change as more vaccine data becomes available. All right, so we do realize that you may have concerns about the safety of these COVID vaccines because, well, they, they use new technology, but we want to let you know that these vaccines were developed based on years of research. So for both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, they both make use of mRNA technology. And while it's new, it's not an unknown technology. So this technology has been studied for decades and it has been used in vaccine trials for influenza, Zika, and rabies. In addition, uh, beyond vaccines, mRNA has been used in cancer research to trigger the immune system to target specific cancer cells. So then for the Janssen or Johnson & Johnson, whatever you want to call it, for that particular vaccine, it is a different type of technology. But it's a technology that has been used since the 1970s. It's a viral vector technology. So this technology has been used and studied for gene therapy, it's been used to treat cancer, and it's been used for molecular biology research. So four decades since the 70s, viral vector vaccines have been used and around the world. Uh, some of the vaccines that were previously used and made using viral vectors, uh, they've been used in the, in the Ebola outbreaks. And a number of studies have focused on viral vector vaccines against other infectious diseases such as Zika, flu, and also HIV. 
So another critical piece has been the investment in manufacturing for these vaccines. And the, man, the investment occurred even before the vaccines were proven effective. So before the emergency use authorization, before many of the clinical trials were even completed, they were already manufacturing these vaccines. So the US government and vaccine manufacturers invested millions of dollars to scale up the vaccine production while the trials were still in play, still in progress. What this did is it reduced the amount of time between the authorization and the implementation. So between authorizing it as good to go and starting to get it into people's arms. So because of the great financial risk, the investment in manufacturing doesn't normally happen until after the development process. So FDA and CDC are prioritizing review and authorization of these COVID-19 vaccines during the pandemic because we want to get the vaccines to arms quickly. So concerns and misinformation about vaccines are not new. So here we go. Even back in the early 1800s, people were scared of something like a cowpox inoculation. People were afraid that that cowpox inoculation could turn them into cows. Well, we know that's not true. So let's come back, come back to the present. And I want to address some of the key facts about vaccination and some of the common myths that are currently circulating. So number one, getting vaccinated can help prevent you from getting sick with COVID-19. Well, this is true. Vaccination works by teaching your immune system how to recognize and fight the virus that causes COVID-19. And that protects you from getting sick. Number two, people who have already gotten sick with COVID-19 may still benefit from getting vaccinated. Well, yes, due to the severe health risks associated with COVID-19 and the fact that reinfection is possible, vaccines should be offered to you regardless of whether you already had infection. At this time, experts do not know how long someone is protected from getting sick again after recovering from COVID-19. COVID-19 vaccines will not give you COVID-19. So none of the authorized and recommended COVID-19 vaccines or the vaccines currently in development in the US contain the live virus. So what does this mean? It means it, it can't make you sick. So next, COVID-19 vaccine Vaccines will not cause you to test positive on COVID-19 viral tests. So neither the recently authorized and recommended vaccines or the other vaccines currently in trial will cause you to test positive on viral tests, which are used to see if you have a current infection. Some of you will be familiar with them, either the, the people ref referred to it as the brain stab where it goes way back into the back of your throat, or even just around the inside of your nose. That's looking for a current infection. 
Now, if your body develops an immune response, which is of course the goal of vaccination, there's a possibility you may test positive on some antibody tests. Typically your antibody tests are going to be determined with a blood draw. Antibody tests indicate you had a previous infection and that you have some level of protection against the virus. And experts are currently looking at how vaccine may affect antibody testing results. So COVID vaccine are being held to the same safety standards as other routine vaccines. So several expert and independent groups evaluate the, se the safety of vaccines being given to people in the United States. So before any vaccines receive authorization or approval, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, review all the safety data from all the clinical trials. And the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which is an independent body of experts, they review all the safety data before recommending use. The FDA and the ACIP have qualified scientific and clinical experts with minimal conflicts of interests when reviewing the data. So after authorization, both FDA and CDC continue to monitor their safety. So there are some systems that can rapidly detect possible safety problems with the vaccines. So these systems are being scaled up for COVID-19 introduction to fully meet the needs of the nation. Additional systems and data sources are also being developed to further enhance the safety monitoring capabilities. A couple of the systems that are in place, um, one is called vSafe. If you have received a vaccine, then you may be familiar with it. It's a smartphone-based after-vaccination health checker. And then in addition, there is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And we love our acronym, so we call it V-A-E-R-S, because of course we love our, our acronyms. It's a national system that collects reports from healthcare professionals, um, vaccine manufacturers, and, uh, and from the public um, about adverse events that happen after vaccination. Some of these, if there are, if there are issues, then these, these events are followed up with specific studies. So again, a little bit more about vSafe, smartphone-based tool. Um, I actually have received my vaccine and I went through and used this. It was extremely easy to use. Um, so what you do is you, you log onto it and it, it checks in with you on a daily basis. And it, you pretty much tell it whether or not you have any side effects from the vaccine. And depending on the answers, someone from CDC may contact you to get more information. Um, it'll also remind you to get your second vaccine if you in fact need to get a second vaccine. Um, you can easily access 
be safe through either wherever you get your vaccine or from the CDC's website. So before vaccination, you should learn more about the different types of vaccines and how they work. And of course, I'm giving you some of that information during this, this presentation. So during your vaccination appointment, you should get information about the specific type of vaccine that you receive. After you're vaccinated, you should be given a vaccination record card that tells you what vaccine you received, the date you received it, and where you received it. It's important to take this if you are do in fact require a second vaccine, it is important for you to take that card with you to your second appointment so that you can have your second vaccine documented on the same card. So even after you have been vaccinated, it's still important to continue using all the tools available to help stop this pandemic. So cover your nose and your mouth with a mask when you're around others. Continue the social distancing, avoid crowds, and always, always, and this was before the pandemic, please wash your hands. So here's a great, a great image showing that initially back in December, like I mentioned, when we first started giving the vaccine, we had a very low volume of employers about vaccines. CDC has created an essential workers toolkit. This toolkit includes multiple adaptable resources to address common questions and concerns and raise awareness about the benefits of COVID vaccine. This is actually a very wonderful tool. It has a lot of great frequently asked questions. Um, if you happen to make use of PowerPoint slide decks within your workplace, if you have newsletters that you send out, if you, if you happen to tweet within your, or have any kind of social media uh, access to work, your workers within the workplace, uh, this is a really great tool, adaptable tool. There are posters that you're able to hang in break rooms one of my favorite things that's actually on this website, everyone, when you go to vote, you, everyone loves to get the I voted sticker. Well, on this website, you, there's a template where you can have your I'm vaccinated sticker. So come on, everyone likes a sticker. We, we were all in kindergarten at one point. So making COVID vaccination part of your work, workplace wellness program offers many benefits to you and your employees. To keep your workplace healthy, consider offering free on-site vaccination at your business locations, if possible. Uh, employers considering implementing a workplace vaccination program should contact the health department in their jurisdiction for guidance. The planning process should include input from management, human resources, employees, labor representatives. Employers should offer the vaccination at no charge and during work hours. And it's also recommended to offer flexible paid leave policies for those workers that may experience post-vaccination symptoms. So if you're hosting a vaccine clinic at your work, if it's if it's un, if you're unable, sorry, to host a vaccine clinic at your site you can still encourage vaccination. 
by providing information to your workers about where they can get the vaccine, such as some of the mega events or things close by. In addition, being flexible in your hum human resources policies, um, establishing policies that allow employees to take paid leave to seek the vaccine. Uh, in addition, even offering transportation to some of these off-site vaccination clinics. Um, promotional posters and flyers to advertise some of the locations that are offering vaccine in the, uh, in the community can be helpful or posting articles in company communications about the importance of vaccine and where to get it. Now, for those of you who have been vaccinated or know individuals who have been vaccinated, uh, they're always, they're, they're come up questions. So I figured I would just run through a few of, of these for you. So fully vaccinated people can visit with other fully vaccinated people indoors without masks or social distancing. You can visit with other unvaccinated people from a single household if unvaccinated persons are low risk for severe COVID indoors without masks or social distancing. In addition, you can refrain from quarantine and testing following a known exposure to COVID-19 if you are asymptomatic. So, for example, fully vaccinated grandparents can visit indoors with their unvaccinated daughter and her children without wearing masks or physical distancing, provided none of the unvaccinated family members are at risk for severe COVID. So here, here are just some additional examples. So for now, fully vaccinated people should continue to take the same precautions in public, avoid medium and large size in-person gatherings, uh, get tested if you have symptoms, follow guidance by, that are issued by your employers, and also follow CDC and health department travel requirements for your locality. And here are some of the social, the, the scientific evidence supporting that. So if you want additional information, you should be able to access th that through the science brief there below. We have some additional web links because we have lots of lots and lots of information available on our CDC website. Of course, additional resources. And that is all I have for this this afternoon, if you have any questions, please feel free. We do have questions, actually. Um, <laughs> thank you. Amy. Excellent. And thank you, Debbie, as well. Um, a couple of uh, questions that we're, we're fielding here. Uh, our retail company has done a pretty good job tracking all of our associates who received a positive test result. How important do you think it's going to be in going forward that we also track those employees who've gotten vaccinated? See, that gets to be a very sticky point because if you are tracking, see, if you're tracking positive test results, then you're also, you're, you're, you're tracking their health history. Um, and it's, it has been, it has been a very difficult sticky, sticking point. Um, you can ask 
if your if your employees have received the vaccine, but they are not required to let you know. That's really the, the answer to that in a nutshell. Okay. Um, how long do you think it will take to update the vaccine duration? Uh, there's no incentive for people to get a vaccine who is perceived uh, as largely untested for only 90 days of protection. As I, as I said, uh, new data is, data is being collected as we speak. Um, and because everything has happened so fast, this, this is a novel virus. Um, everything is really quite new. Uh, we didn't even have tests for this virus, uh, much less vaccines. Um, so uh, that data is being collected as we speak, it's being analyzed, and that information will be updated as soon as we have additional information. So please, please keep your eyes peeled to, to the CDC websites. Uh, I know there are some retail facilities that I've talked to that are checking them on a daily basis. Um, I'm sure as soon as, as that has been um, updated. I, I'm sure that the media will pick that up and, and advertise that also. But yes, that, that information will come out as soon as we have additional information. But right now, it's we're, we're kind of building an airplane as the airplane's flying. So um, it's, it, it, it's been a challenging situation. And uh, we're, the reason that I'm, I'm trying to talk to you is we, we want to be as transparent as possible and provide you with the information and, but we want you to know that if you do receive the vaccine, you are safe. But we, at this point, the data cannot guarantee that it is beyond that, that period of time. But more information will be coming. Excellent. Um, why do those that have been fully vaccinated near to, need to wear a mask or two, <laughs> in parentheses, uh, if the vaccine is expected to keep people healthy? I'm sure you get this question one a lot, right? Um, why do we still need to take those extra precautions? Well, number one, uh, no vaccine is 100%. So, I mean, you could still have that the, the vaccines are meant to keep you from serious illness, the serious illness that, that may, uh, may take you into a hospital. Well, no one really wants to get sick, period. So if you continue to wear a mask, you're, you're more likely to protect yourself um, from just even getting, a, no one likes to get a cold. So, I mean, that just you're protecting yourself from something like that. But in addition, it's not really known at this point, well known as to whether or not someone has been vaccinated can actually carry the virus and give it to someone else. So that's, that's the key there. Um, so we're, we're trying to still continue to protect others. I think that's a great point too, because a lot of people uh, I think come under the misconception that vaccine means I'm bulletproof. And um, if you listen to the statistics where they'll talk about the fact that it is a, um, you know, you're at a much lower risk to getting a serious illness or hospitalization, you know, I, I, I was surprised actually to hear them throw out that number of saying 100% effective against hospitalization or death. I, I, I you hear that on the news and it makes me cringe a little bit. I don't know how you feel about it, but it makes me cringe a little because I think, yeah, but we just haven't gotten that far yet to know if it's really a hundred percent. Did we get lucky? Serious hospitalization and death, that's over here, but then you have people who are asymptomatic and then you have people that run the gamut. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some people who, when they get the common cold, it knocks that person out and, 
And I would much rather try to take the, continue to take the precautions so that I personally don't end up being that person in the middle who, who ends up getting even the, the little, uh, the less serious version of COVID where it still knocks me, it might still knock me out. I'm gonna be stuck at home, but I'm not going to be in a hospital. Um, and I, 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 there's, if, if there's a 100% chance of no death and no hospital, but I can still get sick, I think I'm still going to protect myself. Right. And, and others, right? Because like you and said, others, you exactly. You could also exactly. be it and giving it to others, even if you're a, asymptomatic, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the reason why uh, no vaccines recommended for individuals under 16 at this point, is that just a testing? Um... It has to do with clinical trials and it has to do with, so... Um, I, I, I do know for a fact that, that some of, some of the, the, the vaccines are currently going through clinical trials with, with, young, with kids that are younger than, um, for um, Pfizer, it's younger than 16, and then for, I, for Moderna, it's, it's younger than 18. So I know that those are currently in, in the works um, as to when those will be approved. Uh, I do not know, but yes, so the there's only the one, the one vaccine that is approved for kids between the ages of 16 and 18 at this point, and that is the Pfizer vaccine. Excellent. Okay, uh, one last quick one. Um, if you know it, can you donate blood after uh, being vaccinated? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I that one. Yeah. Donating blood. Um, that's that is a really good question. I do not know that that would be an issue, but I I honestly cannot answer that. I would have to get back to you on that. I say, well, now you have some homework, and when we put <laughs> the notes and the slides from this, we'll send it to the attendees. I mean, we'll what I can tell you, you you're, you're not supposed to receive another vaccine within two weeks before or two weeks after. But as to for donating blood, I that that's that's a new one for me. I think you are able to. I think I, I know someone that did get the vax both vaccines and did donate. So I think you are able to donate blood. All right, well, we're going to give you that as homework to to uh, get us a, a good answer. And when we send out the uh, the uh, slide deck and the information out to folks, we were going to put a link in the chat, but I think we're just going to send it to all the uh, the folks that are registered and with some follow up. So if you we'll give you that homework and we'll check back in with you. Um, Absolutely. So and if, if anyone has any, guys. anyone has any questions, uh, please, and, and we were unable to get to your questions, please feel free to reach out to me. My, my information will be on the slide deck and it's, it's, it's still up right now, but I'm about to stop sharing the screen. So it's okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much. We appreciate it.